Father, thank you for your graciousness. Thank you for breath and life. Thank you for bringing us here to this place. And Father, I pray even now that our faith is stirred, our love certainly, and our hope is emerging. God, for every part of our life, thank you for this house. Thank you for the house of God, for the church, which is the pillar and ground of truth, not denying the world, but overcoming the world in your life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Say amen. Amen. So were you ever afraid of the dark as a kid? Come on, were you? You know, everybody, 74%, actually, I looked it up, 74% of the kids are afraid of the dark. The mother was talking to the little boy about 10 years old. One day, it was dark. She wanted to sweep up something in the kitchen. She said, go out back and get the broom off the porch. And he said, but it's dark out there. What are you afraid of the dark? Jesus is with you. He's everywhere. He's out back. Yeah, he's everywhere. The little 10-year-old boy cracks the door. Jesus, if you're out there, could you hand me the broom? (laughs) That is the best. (laughs) Do you know that 11% of adults are afraid of the dark? And in some point of their life, up to 64% experience fear of the dark in some portion of their life. That's amazing. That's amazing. Not only the darkness, physical, but the darkness, gosh, in the last few years of our life, it just seems like, and not political, I'm saying, but I'm talking about just pandemics and the threats of war and things that we hear. The darkness seems to crowd out the light in our life, wouldn't you agree? But, and it's okay to say you agree about that, but the light is amazing. And I love this whole teaching and opening of this season, like he is the light. Wow. What a simple, oh yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, well, you spend the rest of your life enjoying that. That would be great and learning about it and discovering it. The very announcement of Christmas happens in Isaiah 9. We know it's in verse 2. It begins before we say a son of given is given. It actually says, those who sat in darkness saw a great light, an amazing prophecy, prophecy hundreds of years before Christ came out of the mouth of Isaiah, whose heart belonged to the Lord. We even know Matthew 2. Come on, we know this story. Verse 2, he says that the wise men saw the star in the east. And of course, they make their way through. These are men of accomplishment and power. Now, I looked up the astronomical. Astronomical? Astronomical. Astronomical. What a word. Astronomical facts about this. And you know, it's, there's a lot of argument about this. But it did say the Chinese, about 5 BC, saw that there was some bright light in the sky. They're thinking it's a comet. But the idea that it being a comet, you know, for men who are wise men, comets were pretty un- but common. So it couldn't have been that. It had to be the astronomy and the way, it, the astronomy, that's, that's right, not, not some astrology, astronomy, the way it was all putting out was telling a story to these men, and they came to discover it. I believe that light It's so important, so important that Jesus actually describes himself as the light of the world. No no joke, he describes himself as the, not a light, the light of the world. Actually stepping out in front of the audience and the people on the Festival of Lights and all of them certainly captured about about the light and the story of Israel. And I won't go into that, Chandi could do that, but he actually says, I am the light. How powerful is that? We'll get to that today. But this is such a great time to think about this and I think going into this season in Christmas, if you could keep this theme in your heart daily, you might discover Christmas in a whole different way. Now, we've, we've always had this scripture that, what is his name again? Uh, Kim Clement, that's it. Kim Clement gave us in the 90s, this is going to be the best Christmas ever. Really. Really, back in the 90s, we were fighting the lions and talkers that survived. Was that right? What was that? It was a prophecy. Did I say scripture? I'm so sorry. Work with me. Okay, so... 
you know, when you think I should say prophecy, then just put it in there. Okay, so, so Kim Kenneth gave us his prophecy, not a scripture, although we felt it dropped in our heart like a scripture in a sense. Like, but he kept saying, this is the best Christmas ever. And every year it was getting so terrible, wasn't Brian? We were fighting line. I'm like, really, I'm just going to, next time a person he says that, I'm going to slap him upside the head about that word. You know what I mean? Yeah, best Christmas ever. We were, and we were just fighting, fighting. But I have to say that it was one of the great words that came into us as it began to blossom in our lives that every year we rediscover Christmas. It's such a beautiful season. And I know it has the traditions of men, but I do think some traditions of God and men are really good to keep. And as we look at those things through scripture and through God and the, and the things that he gives us, we see that he is the light. He said these things on purpose so that we would remember them and apply them to our lives. Agreed? And so in every great way, he said it for a purpose that we can, there's a release or a revealing or a revelation. Hi, Lauren. Happy birthday. It's amazing to see you. I know I actually called you out on that. So, so good. So such talent. Oh, yeah. I only get to do that because you're going to be famous someday. It's going to be great. So I'm sorry. So anyway, so I love that he called our attention to it. And so we've, we're kind of pulled into this idea. And I love this, this theme because it really, in so much of scripture, there's light. Two beautiful, powerful places we know is Genesis. Come on, Genesis 1. Let's go back to the very beginning of the beginning and take a look, all right? So I just want, I know you know these scriptures. I know you know these scriptures, but let's take a, ta- a little time and review them to pull out the power and the life in them, okay? Okay? In the back. Thank you so much. I know you think I don't care about you in the back, but I, I'm looking right at you. I am. And the balcony does not escape my gaze. So, all right. So, we know God's voice there. Verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the waters. This is just amazing. And then God said, let there be light, and there is light. So, and God divide, saw the light was good, yes, and he divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness and called night. So, the evening and the morning were first day. I love this. This is the very beginning. God is so great because he's always working in multiple levels in different places. And in this, of course, we know the natural is the earth and the whole world was without form and void and darkness. So it's chaotic. And then as he speaks, let there be light. Actually, he doesn't form the sun till later on in the embodiment of, of, a, of an embodiment of light and then sets the firmament, which is the stars and the heavens. But this is just light that just flushes the whole, the whole system, whatever system's there. And immediately he sees, number one, it's good. Number two, he sees it divides the light from the darkness. Now, what do we take from this? Now, of course, in this, just to take a physical part, light sets everything in motion into our lives. We live by the sun. We live, we live by the physical portions, our properties of the sun, setting our ebb and flow, our daytime, our night, our weeks, our months, our days. Especially here in Pennsylvania, you get all four seasons. You see the whole movement of the earth and where the sun goes. We're out hunting yesterday, and the little one-third of the earth, it raised in the, I watched it raise in the east and southeast and close in the southwest. Just nine hours of light, barely a third of the day. And of course, we know in the winter, summertime, it gets to be 16 hours of light, almost half, over half, two-thirds of a day that we get to have. So they said, in it, vegetation comes, the animals eat the vegetation, we eat the animals and the vegetation, oh, everything happens, right? There's our morning, our noon, and scriptures talk about our morning offerings, our noonday time, our evening offerings. There's a rhythm that we live, come on, at our daily life. The months pass, days pass, ages and time and years 
This is how he said. And God, don't you think he knew that when he set this in, in, in motion? I believe, certainly I believe time is for men, not for God. He's outside of time, which is amazing. But for men, it's such a powerful realization. And we live by this rhythm and ebb and flow. Agreed? He set it in motion. Now, as a, as a metaphor, darkness and chaos, he speaks light. And immediately as he speaks it, of course, it divides naturally, but then also divides and begins order into darkness, which we can take from our lives, the chaotic parts of our lives, the chaotic situations we're in, the chaotic life and parts of ourselves personally, situations, circumstances, that when God's light comes in, it begins to divide, begins to not deny, but prioritize. You see what you hadn't seen before. Let's put that there. Let's put this there. Let's go through this. I begin to be able to navigate the chaos in my life. How many agree about that? It is brilliant beyond in every level. If you just take some time and think about it, and like I said, I can't wrap my whole brain around it and wrap your whole brain, can't do it all, but it is amazing. Even the firmament, the stars of which his son was born, he put a star in there. Those who are in astronomy talk about the story. I've heard men teach about, you can actually watch the, the, the wisdom of God into the heavens. It's amazing. We had this little app when I was in Hawaii, not that I go to Hawaii all the time, but I went there and you could shine out on the thing. It could tell you all the constellations in the thing. It was really cool on your phone. So that was for free. Don't worry about it. Okay, so that was nothing there. But anyway, so I love this whole part of how God does this. Now switch over to John, another classic beginning to scripture that we start in the New Testament. I love John because, because he's different. He's telling a story that is, I love John because of the name is amazing, but no, but... <laughs> But he's telling a story about Jesus, and all the other gospels tell the story, which are wonderful, each have their own. But John is different here. He sees Jesus. If anybody was close to Jesus as a man, John was. And he actually says he's the beloved, doesn't he? But in this, he really, he begins to reveal, he starts to see Jesus as God. Jesus is such a different part. And let's just read it to take a look. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he's introducing us to Jesus as the word, the living word, which is so amazing because men live by laws and rules, but he's saying more than the law, it was the word, a breathed living word, and that word had a persona, had a personality to it, and he could engage with men, and it was, I almost, my words would be, he was greater than the law, bigger, more warm, more loving, more receiving, more, more personal than just words on paper. Agreed? So that, he just gets it. And he says, in the beginning was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Hold it right there. I mean, the next line is stunning, but this one is really powerful. In, he was, in him, he was the life, and the life was the light of men. Now he's moving the power of light into something that comes into our lives spiritually, morally, intellectually, enters men's souls. He's talking about the light that turns on to a side inside of a knowing of a man. Yes, John, this is great. Many of you are sitting here because you engaged in that light, and that knowing came into your hearts. And that's why you're sitting here. That's why you're living your life a certain way. And that's what's happening right here. He's, he has recognized this transition and he's drawing us into, he's more than a man in flesh. He's God in flesh and he's walking around and there's nothing that can withhold him. 
And when he meets with men, their lives, their spirits come alive when, they meet, when he engages with them. And how do I know that? Because it happened to me, and I didn't see him in the flesh, but I met him in the spirit. And he came into my life. He walked right into my life, and my life came alive to him. Whether I liked it or not, it was amazing. And he overcame all the things I, I was prejudiced about him and won my heart over. But in this, it's just powerful. And then he says, then the light shines. So Jesus, the word, the persona, when he's standing in a room, he shines into the darkness in our hearts. Isn't that great? And the darkness cannot comprehend it, which means it can't control it. It can't stop it. It can't withhold it in any way. Oh, come on. This is why we read about this stuff. So we get out of, hello, how's the coffee? Okay, you know what I mean? We can start to live our life. Oh, it is stunningly powerful. So we have this whole other revelation that deals with, the light deals with us in a personal way. It's just so beautiful, Genesis and John, the beginning of both. Now, okay, if you turn the pages over to John 3, Jesus begins to reveal something even greater before he talks about he being the light. And we all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And begins to expand on that. So he's saying right there, the light has come in. That's what he's saying in verse 16. Verse 17, this is my paraphrase, but here's scripturally, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Wow, whole new thought but that the world through him might be saved. So what he's saying here is, now look, when this light comes in, I didn't come in to condemn. It's not to, to wield its to condemning power. It's there to wield its saving power. You got that? Okay. And he who believes in him is not condemned. So when you believe in that light, you're not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. By your own choices, you're set aside, missing the life in the light. Now you are condemned. And the power of condemnation is that which sucks the confidence out of your life and sucks the life out of your life. And men live in shadows. Men live in darkness. They live in condemnation. And this is the passion of Jesus now through John saying, I came in because I don't want you to live that way. Okay? Why live less than how I created you? Why live less than the life I can give to you? Okay, so let's finish this. Oh, where are we? It's condemned already because he has not believed the name of the only begotten son. This is a condemnation. So he's setting up the conflict here and he's trying to tell men that this is how it is. Okay? That the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And everyone practicing evil hates light. It does not come to life lest his deeds be exposed. So he's got a thought process here. Okay, you getting this? That he who comes in the world, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They were guilty. We know that. We're all guilty. We all have parts of our life, even sitting here this morning, that you're free, but there's other parts in your life that you're guilty in. Wow, the rounding applause. The amens are crushing me. Thanks for saying that, John. I needed someone to say it for me. All right, there you go. <laughs> Of course, in the general sense, we're not guilty, but there's parts of our life that are. We're not perfect. Okay, so 
But for everyone who practices evil, when we step into sin, when we step into intentional sin or apathetic sin or sin we kind of just downgrade into, then we begin to hate the light and we we pull back away from it because we don't want our, because what he goes on to say is, because when the light comes, your deeds are exposed. Oh no, you begin to see it. Oh no, you'll start to see what's going on. You start to see the real me or the parts of me I don't want you to see, the parts of me that I want to deal with, parts of me that are apathetic, parts of me that are so intentional, the compartmental parts, the parts I still like because it makes me feel really good, God, but it's a cycle. I really don't feel good, but I do feel good. How am I doing? Are you doing this? All right, all right. Such a waste of energy, isn't it? I mean, it just is. Okay, so me too, me too. But he he who comes... but he who does the truth comes to the light. Whoa. If I step into the truth, I'm stepping into the light. For his deeds will be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And that's what's so amazing, this last line. That means when I step into the truth, I'm coming to the light. I know that God and I were meant to be together. And everything good comes from him through me, to me. Is that right? I hope you got that. It's like you're the better self with him than you ever were by yourself. But we spend all our time being by ourselves, right? We spend a lot of time in that secret, in the shadows. Let's say it that way. So Jesus lays out the conflict here. The light has come into the world. Here's the challenge. And he's, I mean, from Genesis to to John, to his birth, He's become brighter and brighter, if I could say it in men's terms. Of course, he was completely bright when he was born. But but he just enters into our life. I mean, the story of Christ being born, when the Magi came, when, when the shepherds came, here's what they're seeing. They're seeing the light embodied in a human being, and they just had to come and see it. They just had to make their way. Wise men recognizing with ability, with finances, with all that they're rich in wealth is, they, they use that to get what's really wealth. And the shepherds in the middle of their dundrum, doldrum day found themselves stealing away. We must go see this, which the angels spoke of. And they're seeing there that God and man could come together. The hope that they always hoped that good could overcome evil, that truth could live embodied in somebody, and that it would be hope just seeing it had to be like, oh man, I'm, I'm ripped from where I was and I can't let this go anymore. Can you imagine seeing that? Like that, that was, was stuffed down, like that the life you were supposed to live, you're not living, but now God is touching that by seeing him come into a very being like you. Oh man, this had to be changing their lives as they gazed on it. And then it just grew. How did God put that someplace and hide it, but he did until he was 30, 30 years old. Oh, geez. He's probably shooting out all over Nazareth every day, and people are just, what was that? <laughs> Disguised as a carpenter. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I got to get a grip. All right, so. <laughs> if you turn the pages, a few more pages on down to John chapter 8, maybe we can expound on what this is about. All right? Okay, John, that's a good idea. Mm, wow. Let me get my Bible. Hold on. Two bizarre stories. One bizarre, a second one really cool. They're both cool. Okay, here we go. So chapter 8, verses 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought this woman caught in adultery, and, they saw, they, and when they had set her in the, in her, in the midst... 
that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard, seriously. If you think how weird and diabolically, like, <laughs> so here's a woman caught in adultery. Would they wait outside the house? I've said this before. That here are Pharisees dressed in their Pharisaical outfits, and they're so clean and cool. And instead of stepping in and preventing the sin, they waited for it to happen because they just knew it would happen again. And they just want to get this woman in front of and just trap Jesus. You know, how bizarre is this? How, how dismissing of life, how dismissing of the gift that was placed in their hands, the law, and how much they were misusing it to, to rule over someone's life or condemn them. It's just so weird. Do they hide outside the house in the bushes? Well, I, mean, I just, what? And then rush in and grab her? Where's the guy? You know what I mean? So, all right, I'm not going there. It's my imagination going crazy. But that which they could have, with love and grace, prevented, they waited for to accuse. Casting her in the midst. Now, look, I just want to fantasize this story. This woman wasn't like, oh, this woman was a wreck. This woman, everybody in town, maybe they hated her. Maybe they knew it because she did this all the time. She ruined marriages. She's all about herself. She, maybe she had all kinds of swank and seductive spirit on her, and she was compartmentalized in her own self. You, want to, you couldn't get a decent conversation out of her at the market. You didn't want to hang, because she just was, Ugh! You know how people get, people get bad. You don't even want to be with them. You know what I mean? I just don't want to fantasize like she was just sweet, poly, pure bed and just had a bad day. No, no. She was embodiment of sin, and people didn't like her. And you wouldn't have liked her. Can I say that? You wouldn't have. She's a wreck. I don't know what her story was, but she gave herself over to it, and she was good with it. Okay, just say that. But here she is. I mean, here's a human being just thrown right in front. Everything exposed. Everything like, there wasn't anything that wasn't. Maybe she was half-dressed or wasn't dressed. I don't know. And here are the men accusing her. God. And Jesus just sits there and writes, starts to write in the sand. It's a stunning reality. And in it, what happens? Those who heard, verse 9, being convicted of their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing... In the midst, man, it's just a human being exposed. We're just seeing it all the time and men taking advantage of it in our world. Ugh. And Jesus raised himself up and saw that no one, he's just the coolest. He's writing this. He knows they're just dropping off like flies, man. They're just dropping. And he knows she's by himself and he raises himself up. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Of, where are the accus of those accusers of yours? <laughs> just, you're the, you're, you're the best. No one's con not, no, has no one condemned you? And she looks there and says, no one, Lord. What a great line from her. Because she could have said, no one. But she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Sin no more. Man. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Look, this is like, this person is ruined in front of him. But what happens is that when he begins to write in the sand, he didn't even say it, but the word, the light, and the life of men, which John has recognized and noted to us in the beginning of the chapter, is being released in that situation, isn't it? And in it, men have a choice. And so men, men who are accusers, they just begin to drop back. Could they have stayed? They could have stayed. They could have stayed. It could have been rewritten. They could have stayed right in the light with him and with her. 
But no, they held, they dropped back into the shadows. Now their choice being made. I don't know. Maybe they're convicted. They were convinced and convicted of, of, of their conscience. But what they did with it, because that's like a gift when God gives it to us, your conscience and the conviction that comes. Not condemnation. He said these words, conviction and conscience. So they had an opportunity. When that light shined, exposing their deeds, they stepped back into the shadows. But what did she do? She stayed. She stayed right there. And she stood in the truth. And the truth, man, let her come to the light. The guys were, I mean, to me, this is the last straw for her, thinking of her life. Like the guys... They were just the same spirit that had ruined her life forever. And she gave herself over to the condemnation. You can't, you won't. Well, I'll do what I want is what her rebellious spirit said. Even though she was fully guilty and fully full of sin, she just, she, this same spirit driving her and holding her and ruining her. Now with all that, she stepped into the life for the very first time. And now everything exposed, including probably her body, and there's nothing left. And in that moment, when Jesus is writing, instead of cowering back and running off, she stayed. She stayed and felt like she never felt before. She felt loved. She felt accepted. She felt forgiven. And, and no, all without words, that with the presence of God, just with the writing on the ground. Maybe he's writing the Ten Commandments. I have no idea. Maybe he's writing where Bob was last Thursday night. I don't know. You know what I mean? Each one, but each one could have stayed. Their deeds exposed and stepped into the light. But she, stepping, staying, was transformed. And then he reaches out. All of this happened in nanoseconds, in minutes. And in an unbelievable moment, that time seemed to stand still. And her life being lifted up. And then Jesus says, go and sin, neither do I condemn you. Standing her up even more. Like standing her up on the inside. Like, really? But when he said it, it echoed through her soul. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. Why would he say something she can't do? Of course, when the moment he touched her and lifted her up, that's my imagination, is that she had stepped into light, never to step out of the light again. Everything exposed. Oh, come on. Now, I know, I appreciate the clapping, but all of our lives, of course we live in the light, but there are parts that are in the shadows. There are parts that we don't want to bring before God. There are parts that we're apathetic about. For, for this season, let him be the light. He is the light. Let him come for the areas that you're confused about. Come for the areas that you're intentional about. Intentionally compartmentalizing your sin. And we all plan to sin. I just have to say it. All of us, including me. Well, next time she says that, I am going to say this. The next time he does that, I'm going to do this. You may not use those words out of my mouth, but they say those words in your heart. Come on. I'm going to stick. My God, because I have an ego and I have a life and you can't talk to me that way. <sighs> but she is. <laughs> or he is. Or they are. Come on. All right. So in this season, man, intentional sin, let light, run to the light about this. See what God does. See what he does with your total failure. See what he does with the sin. He is magnificent about it. He just takes it away from you and doesn't condemn you. At the same time, lifting you up, but you've got to stay in the light. You've got to stay in the word. You've got to stay in worship. You've got to stay honest. 
Because you can do all those things and not be honest, and then it, it whips by you and makes you okay. But when you are honest, it reaches into your life and pulls you up like that. And it makes it totally and completely personal. Oh. I'm not mad. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so, so happy about it. So, wow. Let's drop, turn a couple pages into chapter 9. So the light is life, L. Let me give you a little acronym if you want to make a falling out. Some, I read some, I did my studies, read them, some pastor had this cool little acronym. The light is the life. Wow, is that true? The light is illumination. And illumination comes, you got to let it illuminate. You got to stay in the light. All right? Chapter nine is the second situation where he says, I am the light of the world. There was a man, Jesus passed by, saw a man who was born blind from birth. This is significant because in the Jewish law, if you had some physical ailment, it means it had to be some sin in your life because God was always good and always providing healing, okay? How are we doing? Just as legalistic as you get on this one, okay? And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This is a legitimate question. And Jesus answered, neither. This man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day and the night is coming that no one can work. The night he's talking about is the crucifixion, the snuffing out, attempting of Jesus. Am I doing okay? Something like that? All right. So. All right. As long as I'm in the world, Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Just like he said to the adulterous woman, right? Okay, John, hang with me. Okay, say. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made the clay out of saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind men in the... In the in in the, with the clay, and then he said, go and wash in a pool of Siloam. Now, we know the story goes and washes, and he can see, right? All right? This is a great story of him healing him. But here's some questions. Now, in the first story, it's about known sin, sin that's intended, sin that's intentional, sin that's apathetic, sin that's low-grade, and you let yourself slip into. But this is a situation where he has no reason for. He's totally a good guy, and he was born blind. This way, he was cast into the worst role. He begs every day in the dirt at the city gates, whatever it is. And then, like, he, it was so unfair. It's so unjust. He didn't ask for this. This is the life he's got. This stinks. It's not fair. It's unfair. It's unjust. How many of us have situations that you are not responsible for, but you're in them? Or the recipient of a death or a loss or something like that. There's no answers for it. But here you are in this big, stupid mess. And now you start to ask, why? why? Why did this happen? How? How did this happen? What? What? Where did it come from? You're looking for all those answers, but Jesus does not entertain it. But what he does is he sheds the light on this man. And he reaches down and he takes the very life he's been in, the circumstances, the dirt of the world that he's been lying in and begging, and he forms the deliverance for his very life and sticks it in his eyes. He uses the circumstances that he's in to deliver him right there. Oh, come on. He takes that. Your circumstance, situations. Oh, yeah, John. Yeah, yeah. So either you're grabbing this or you're not grabbing this. I'm telling you. But, he, but where it came from, let's not worry about that. He doesn't, seem to, he doesn't seem to be interested in it. What he's interested in is the outcome. That out of those circumstances, he can get glory. That out of those circumstances, he's the light. And if you stay in the light and if you hold on to God, because I don't know this guy's story, but somewhere he begins to receive who Jesus is in this. Of course, the miracle shakes and wakes him. But what was his pre-story? What is his pre-story? What if he's there every day and he hears the word in the temple? What if he's there and he still hope comes up, but it just seems so bad and so unfair, but hope still comes coming up inside of him. 
He hears that word and it lights him up, but he pushes it down in circumstances. But now here comes someone who embodies that one, the very word he's been listening to all the time, and then has hands and feet and warmth and life, and he's more than that word, and he puts his hands on him and takes the situation that he's in, the circumstances, and forms his deliverance right out of it. And he starts to begin to see who Jesus is. Oh, come on. When you're holding, some of you come here and you have no reason because it's unjust, but you hold on. Just like the adulterous woman, some of you have reasons you're still caught in sin. You're in the bondage of sin, but you hold on. Some people come and they stay in the light. Some people retract, it's too much for me. It seems unfair. I've got all kinds of excuses. Everybody in that place is a hypocrite. Well, well join the hypocrite crowd. Here we are, all right? You're right. You're right. You're right. And I, I'm so moving to be less a hypocrite, okay? I'm less of a hypocrite than last week, all right? I am, all right? Isn't that great to think that way? Get over yourself. Here we go. So, but what's great is that in this story, this man, Benny Pelosi, almost looks different because his neighbor's like, Isn't this a guy who's been born blind? He's been begging by the guy. He doesn't look like himself. Well, I know who you are because I hear you every day, Mrs. Smith, being a big knucklehead. Okay, I'm just saying that. So he recognizes everybody. He sees and no one else sees in this show, in this story, don't they? He's blind, but he's not blind. They're all blind and they can't see. He's the guy they see every day and they can't recognize him. Am I just, this is how we live our life, isn't it? It's the conversation you have inside. Oh, yeah, I know who you are there, Mrs. Dunkel. There you go. So, <laughs> not Don, wherever you are, Don Dunkel, you're a great guy. No problem, I'm kidding, but that's a, all right. So, and then they bring him before the Sanhedrin and they question him. This is amazing. Verse 29, chapter 9, John. Okay, got it? Stay with me, people. We know that, this is the Sanhedrin. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. <laughs> this guy, really? He says to him, come on. He, may, he is so on fire because he sees. Now he can see here and he sees here. So he started, and that perception is just flooding his soul. And he answers him, why, this is a marvelous thing. I mean, he is, I don't know, his tone is, I don't, it's hilarious. Okay, it could be, what do you call it? How do you do it when you? Sarcastic. There it is. There is the word sarcastic. Like sarcastic. This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. So man, he knows the word, doesn't he? It's starting to come back up inside of him, isn't it? Because he knows the word. He doesn't hear sinners. And if anyone is a worshiper of God, he does his will. He hears them. Since the world began, it has, not been, it has been unheard that anyone opened the eyes of who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So he's saying he is from God. He's recognizing God. And they're like, they get like, you're excommunicated. They don't want to answer. All along, he's perceiving who Jesus is. That knowing is rising up inside of him. After this, he gets excommunicated. He meets with Jesus. Jesus says, and of course, in my translation, heard they kicked you out. Yeah, they kicked me out. They said, you know, because only the side can do this stuff. Well, it's he who you're speaking out to. I believe, he says. Mm, it's just such an opportunity God gives him to confess his faith and confess the knowing that's been in him all along in spite of his circumstances, in spite of the injustice he's been searching. And now, now when he's been touched, he knows that he knows who this guy is. He knows he comes from God. And when Jesus gives him an opportunity, he says, I believe in you. Man, he testifies. That's stunning. 
So the circumstances, didn't matter where, how, why, it matters that he kept in the light. And the light brought him to the knowing of Christ. And on top of that, it brought him to glorifying God, testifying God of God, and proclaiming God to the people who should know who God is. That's stunning reality, isn't it? Wow. Many of you don't know why you're in the circumstances you are. Stay in the light. God will bring a testimony out of it. God will bring a confession out of it. God will bring faith and belief out of it. Stay in the light. God will give you an opportunity to, te- to share your testimony. You, you just say, I don't know, but I would never do it again, but I would never change it for anything. We've gone through something like that five years ago. Our whole home, house is ruined. I wish I had believed God more through it than when the end came because he was better than I thought he would be. And I testify of it. Do I know why, how? No. Does it matter? No, it doesn't. What matters is that I kept in the light. You got to keep in light. That's one thing I did, you know, but there's other things I failed terribly about. So keep in the light. Known and unknown, how powerful. Matthew says, you don't put a light under a bushel. You put on a lampstand. It's all to see. Your good works in heaven, they'll glorify your good works on earth so that they'll glorify your Father in heaven. That's what that was all about for that man. And it was worth it. Life is hard. I just want it to be worth it. Come on. Come on. Stay in the light. The last thing it does is it transforms our lives. Colossians, if you go there. Are you staying with me? So the light is life. The light is illumination. The light brings the glory of the Father in heaven. G-H. Can you do that? That's my little, that's a little bit of a stretch, but hang with me on that one. All right? And then finally, the last light transforms. Giving thanks to the Father, verse 12, Colossians 12, 1, 12, who has qualified us as partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What a choice of words. What a great choice of words. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. That word conveyed means actually to pull you out and put you in is what it actually means to transfer you. So as we stay in the light, if you stay in the light honestly, God will pull you and put you as you keep, in, stay in, keep your eyes on him. And faith will come, faith will rise, love will abound, and hope will, these three powerful things will happen to you. Unre unheld in every way. It'll happen. But you're going to have a cusp of trying, being tested. You've got to hold on. That adulterous woman never, I believe in my heart, she never went back. I believe that blind man was different for the rest of his life. Don't you think? What a guy who could see and see. Wow. Full of the glories of God. This same light is not denying, it's overcoming. It transformed Abraham to believe God when he was way old. It changed Moses and it gave him the power to challenge Pharaoh. Come on. It helped Gideon when he had 300 men to crash the vase and light the lamp and shout. These guys were fully man and fully filled with God. They were in the right mind and they were in the truth and in the light when that happened. It made Zacchaeus climb a tree and give all his money back. 
That's crazy amazing. The most abhorred and re disgusted person in the, in, the, in the neighborhood. He climbed a tree because he was looking and staying in the light and he was holding on. Come on. It helped Mary forgive herself. Martha believed Jesus was a resurrection. Peter walked on water and he helped John present Jesus as the word, the light, and the life. That's men in the right minds and the right heart. Men and women. He is the light. And when he said it, it echoes into our hearts. Don't read this Christmas story like it's a, like it's a nursery rhyme. Read this story like it's your lifeline. Let's stand up. Please. It's, there's a lot to distract us these days, a lot. But, but every generation has distractions. Great ones, terrifying ones. And it's easy, so easy to sin. So easy. More, I think, than ever. I'm probably wrong about that, but it sure feels like it. A couple touches on your phone, a, a couple ways of entitling, indulging yourself. And it's so easy to drift into the shadows. All of us. This Christmas season is about remembering I don't have to live in the shadows, I can live honestly. There's nothing he won't take from me. I don't have to have all the answers. I just need to search for him. I don't need the whys, although they're important to know those, if you can. But sometimes we don't, we don't get those. We get the answer. Just him. But we get a testimony. Let's be a people that know how to do this, Okay. Because that world's going to show up at our, at our door destroyed and broken, fragmented. And if we're living this, they'll be able to come to our front doors and our doors here and we ought to give them what we have, the love and the light of God. Because lives are going to be wrecked. Okay? And you just came out of Thanksgiving having a hard time hanging with your family. <laughs> going to be a lot of ugly sin out there that we can be a part of healing and overcoming and start with ourselves come on let's pray God you are the light help us stay in your light keep us from apathy keep us from not caring, keep us from temptation and wrong desires. Keep us from indulgences. Help us not be afraid. To stay in the light, to be exposed. To be exposed. That your warmth, truth, just like the words from the song, until my heart and heaven collide, your ways are higher 
than mine. Your love is truer than all I could find. Good job. Good job, David. Let's let this be the best Christmas ever. Best. Great or small, deep and rich, let it be that way. Personal. You're the one that said it, Father. You are the light of the world, Jesus. Let there be light. Let that light enter our lives. And we won't cower back from it, we pray. We ask for grace. You say amen to that? Like you mean it? <laughs> All right, bless you.